Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. Coming to you from the Baseball America Podcast Nook. Controls your throwing strikes. Command is your hitting the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is I mean, stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. If he was in the home run derby, I'd put him out of a decent chance of winning it against the big leaders. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Clint Longenecker, I'm John Manuel. I want to remind you that these podcasts are brought to you by, or powered, I should say, by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. And Clint Longenecker, you're coming to us from Baseball America World Headquarters. I'm coming to you from home, trying to keep my foot elevated. Um, so, so Clint, we're, we're trying to, I'm trying to keep my foot elevated. I'm trying to see who's keeping their draft stock elevated. And uh, that's the segue I was excited to use today. Um, now this podcast has been was, was not elevated. We we took our sweet time uh, recording this thanks to all the other things we're trying to do, and my my broken foot didn't help. Um, but we did a mid season draft update a couple weeks back here, Clint. Uh, I think we're going to mostly work off of that as the subject of today's podcast. And the big news, really, Clint, a couple weeks back when we finished this up was that the the trends that we started the season with have just kind of, uh, that, we, that we saw last summer, that we saw in the fall, it just seemed that those trends have not abated. We're still not seeing a lot of position players, college or high school, uh, establish themselves and prove to scouts, give scouts a lot of conviction about their hitting ability. And it really does feel like this first round has a chance to be uh, one of the more pitcher-heavy drafts in recent years. It's, it sure does, especially at the top of the draft. In our... In our updated uh, top ten, we only had uh, three three position players with Alex Jackson uh, at number four, and then Nick Gordon at number eight, and Brad Zimmer at number ten. And considering the depths of the college pitchers, you have a handful of other guys that fell outside of the top ten that had very strong cases that could factor into that, whether it be uh, Brandon Finnegan, Tuki Toussaint, or Eric Fetty. All we've you know we've heard from uh, numerous evaluators on all of those guys they have a chance to push into the top ten. So really, just the depth of the pitching at the top is even stronger than we actually anticipated coming into the spring. And the, we, obviously for us, the local pitchers have been of prime interest because it's guys that we get to see, but it also brings that the reason that having Carlos Rodon and Jeff Hoffman here in North Carolina, where we're based has been quite useful this year is it just brings all the, you know, brings the heat into North Carolina between the national high school uh, invitational out at USA baseball last month and then Rodon and Hoffman starts. I mean, Clint just feels like this has been a goldmine of a year for seeing scouts in person and seeing uh, a lot of top evaluators. You and I went Friday to go see Carlos Rodon's latest start against uh, Boston College. feels like you've seen Carlos, what, six times this year, maybe? Five or six times? Let's see here. I have seen him uh, – I've seen him three times. Saw so him his first start and the last two starts. Okay, that's it. Yeah, the first We're all start- together, though, we have had multiple people. I think Josh Norris has seen him twice, so in – in totality, I think we've seen um, about two-thirds of his starts on the season. Right, and, we, and seeing as how we don't draft first overall or in the top three, <laughs> that's pretty. Good. That's kind of a lot to go see one guy, um, you know, considering that you know, the Astros have someone at every start. I would imagine the Cubs and the Marlins and the White Sox do too. Pretty big, uh, you know, two-team presidents there Friday and Kenny Williams and Theo Epstein of the White Sox and Cubs. Um, you know, I just don't recognize – the higher up, maybe for for Miami, I did recognize a couple cross checkers, but all the teams at the top of the draft are still in on Carlos, uh, and they're all still in on Jeff Hoffman. They're all still in on Trey Turner over at NC State. 
But those three guys were three of our top four guys to start the year, Clint. And they've all taken some draft hits this year. They've, t- they've taken some hits in their draft stock. And, and, and the, other, the flip side of that is the guys who've passed them at the top of that draft. For us, uh, we just re- listening to the scouts that we've talked to all year, it really does sound like uh, the most likely consensus guys on the top of draft boards are these two high school pitchers, Brady Aiken and Tyler Kolick. And it really has a chance to be a pretty special year on the high school pitching side. Yeah, it sure does. And it's something we've been trying to monitor throughout the year. It's just uh, this class, and we said this throughout the summer, you know, is really known for its velocity. And that has been further backed up so far this spring. We've had uh, six pitchers uh, up to 98. And I believe by my count is 12 or 13 up to 96 or better. So the velocity of this class uh, far exceeds anything um, not only just in, in the in the high end of the velocity range with Tyler Kolick, you know, touching 102, 103 reportedly, but just the sheer depth of arms and and uh, and Tyler Kolick. This is the conversation that we had had earlier. You know, could he be one of the or could he have the most velocity of any amateur pitcher? You know, um, may, maybe ever. That's really the, and, that, and that's a huge part of this question. You know, we've got two guys in this draft class, Clint, who according to the scouts that we've talked to, consistently hit 100 miles an hour. That's Tyler Kolick and Nick Birdie, the right-hander out of Louisville's bullpen. And they're completely different animals. You know, Nick Birdie has been through a draft before. He, uh, you know, he's a closer. He's on a college team, so he's a little bit tough to see. Uh, right before our last update, we were fortunate to talk to a couple of scouts who had seen him recently. And, uh, you know, he'd been very good right before that. He's a wild card in this draft. Um, but Tyler Kolick is an anomaly not just in this draft, I just think in draft history, it feels like we have always have a college closer who throws hard. <laughs> now, I think Birdie throws harder. You know, we've got a, multiple reports of Nick Birdie consistently hitting 100 miles an hour. He basically, you know, his range is 96 to 99 or 100, depending on the scout you talk to. Or they're going to give him credit for 100 being in his range or whether they're going to say he touches 100 every time out. But just talking to people this spring, I mean, like and like you said, reading the reports – uh, you know, something we're the only people who do this. The consistency of Tyler Kolick hitting 100 miles an hour is uh, startling. It's just startling to see a high school pitcher throw that hard all the time. And it just, I mean, I just was emailing with a scout yesterday, I mean, an area scout, said he'd seen Kolick multiple times this year and that, you know, he, had to, he throws 100 or better every time. It's not. Oh, he was really good this start, so he hit a hundred, like it was with Lucas Giolito. Um, it's not, and this is also not like a guy who came out of nowhere, like Colt Griffin did back in two thousand, another Texas fireballer who hit a hundred miles an hour. This is every time out. It feels to me, Clint, like Tyler Kolick is really unique, and this velocity did not come out of nowhere. You wrote about it at this time last year. Well, not at this time. You wrote about it last June, basically, when he came to the Tournament of Stars. Yeah, it was it was directly after a perfect game national. I mean, he was up to ninety seven the very first event of the summer, and that was only his third or fourth time on a mound um, since he came back from his injury. And you know, it was it was really nice and easy and touching ninety nine twice in, in the two All Star games. Really, just knew that it was only a matter of time before he crept up and legitimately broke that hundred mile an hour barrier. He's been nothing. Uh, he's done nothing but build on that this spring. I mean, is this? So I guess the question, and it's difficult for anybody to answer, but, I mean, how sustainable do we see this being for for Tyler Kolick? I mean, do you imagine that he will – does he have the – he certainly has the physicality. And you said he did it pretty easily last summer. Is this a guy who you expect to go out there and be almost kind of like a Garrett Cole type who regularly registers in the upper 90s as a starting pitcher? I mean, it seems like just physically and the the stuff – he most reminds me of Garrett Cole, who also was, as an amateur in Southern California, regularly in the upper 90s. I don't think he consistently threw quite as hard as Tyler Kolick. Yeah, as far as the sustainability of, of not just him, but of any pitcher, I mean, that's something that I don't think anybody's really qualified uh, to say. I mean, certainly there are uh, millions of dollars being spent you know, on research with all these, with the injury prevention rates and whatnot. Like you said, I mean, he, he's it's it's easy um, it's, it's going to be there consistently. Um, and, I mean, one of the things we know with sabermetrics is the guys lose velocity early in their careers, you know, starting in their early 20s. But, you know, he's still he is still ramping up. So there's 
And there's certainly going to be a very, very good period where he's going to be able to sit at least 95-plus uh, for a good portion of his career. I mean, just amazing to me also that this is a guy who, uh, you know, that his velocity was just so good last year when he broke his alternate arm, broke his left arm, not his alternate arm, but his non-throwing arm. Um, that story seems pretty unique to me. And, and yet, for all the velocity, we've got, uh, you know, uh, Brady Aiken at uh, number one. I, for some reason, I guess because the guy is running for office here in North Carolina, I always want to say Clay Aiken when I say Brady Aiken's name. <laughs> no. That would be a mistake. But, um, Please don't. <laughs> I will not. Um, but, but on that high school pitching tip, it does feel like there's Aiken and Kolick. And then there's a pretty decent gap. And I don't even know if there's necessarily a consensus of the next guy. On our midseason uh, update, Clint, we went with Tukey Toussaint and Grant Holmes. Again, two guys that you've been able to lay eyes on this spring. Tukey here at uh, NHSI. Grant Holmes uh, just down the way in Conway, South Carolina. But I think we've talked about those guys. I do want to talk about kind of like the next group of high school pitchers. Because um, I feel like I myself have kind of given Sean Reed Foley like a little bit of short shrift. This feels like a guy who, like if Sean Reed Foley were in last year's draft class, Clint, this guy would have been one of the top high school pitchers in the draft class last year, if not the top guy. I mean, again, we, we there wasn't a strong consensus on last year's high school draft class, and the guy who might have wound up being the top high school pitcher in that draft class, might maybe it's Hunter Harvey. He certainly got off to a good start uh, this year, and he lasted 20-plus picks in the draft, so... Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on Sean Reed Foley? What's what's the kind of the background on this guy, and and how is he? Feels like he steadily just keeps getting better um, over the course of his, uh, you know, going through showcases in his high school career. Absolutely. And over the summer, he was he was fairly consistent. The only time he really had a bad outing was was at the Area Code Games, but he was outstanding. He was one of the top two or three arms at East Coast Pro, he showed you velocity and feel for pitching and off-speed. He showed you all the raw elements pretty much every single time out this summer. He was up to 96 in the fall at the Florida Diamond Club. It's a big, strong, physical body. He pitches off his fastball. He used to have a four-pitch mix uh, in the summer, but now he's winnowed that down. To, uh, he dropped he dropped the curveball, and he just has the slider. The slider's an above-average slider. He, and he really, I mean, he commands the fastball. He was one of the only guys that when we did our balloting for the All-Americans um, early early in the spring, we did best tools. He was one of the only guys that had votes for best fastball, best breaking ball, and best command. And so even though uh, he's going to have to work on maintaining his body because he's about six to 220, somewhere in that range, um, he really is a competitor. He competes every single time out, but he really offers you a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I, I like the way. that That's what makes him – so intriguing to me is that he doesn't fit into one of these other, you know, uh, he he's, seems like he's kind of like almost a right-handed Aiken, a little bit less command. He's not as premium command as Brady Aiken is, which is what kind of separates Aiken, but he seems most similar in this class in being well-rounded to Aiken uh, to me. So uh, sometimes, I mean, we have him 21 in the draft class. I, I almost feel like that's low in some ways. Um, I, I know it's not, but, uh, we were very aggressive in this uh, latest update with a Spencer Adams athlete out of Georgia, uh, a high school down in Georgia. Um, came out of basketball, high school basketball, uh, with you know the, the athleticism and then the the velocity was quite good for him. Cody Medeiros, uh, we've got some, we have some. I don't know if I'd say pop up guys, but just some surprises, I guess, in the top fifty. Really felt like Spencer Adams uh, and, and then Jacob Bukowskis were the two guys who at the beginning of the year, Clint weren't necessarily on this radar and then really jumped up. What prompted those two guys to jump up on the radar from the high school side? Spencer Adams, he was at, he was at almost every single big event this summer, but he really showed you everything you need to just from an athleticism standpoint. I would say he's probably one of the two or three best pitching athletes from the high school side. He's a big, long, lean, projectable body. You know, you can see him out in center field at, at tournament stars, and he looked good out there. You know, he can actually run at least average, if not, you know, a tick above average time. Very, very quick arm. And like you said, you know, his basketball prowess, I think he led his team in scoring. Um, and he, he really was, uh, I think he's a four-year starter there. He's just a very, very good all-around athlete. And during the summer, the stuff, the velocity was, you know, consistently in the high 80s, touching 91, 92, somewhere in that range. And you knew that 
because he was very, very young for the class and he was an athlete that he was really going to take a step forward. And he's done that this spring. He's been 90 to 95 so far this spring. And he can, I mean, he, he kind of in a similar vein to Sean Reed Foley, he can offer you a little bit of everything. He's got plus life when he's right. It's kind of a bat-breaking sort of fastball with the movement. He can spot it up, get a chance for above-average command. The slider's an above-average pitch. The changeup has really showed well. So he's really got a strong overall arsenal, and you really just bet on the athlete. And right. uh, he's got he's got pitch. But there's really not too much that Spencer Adams cannot do. Yeah, I think I think you summed them up well. I mean, the scouts that I've talked to about him, uh, it's a lot of the same things. And the one thing, uh, w- whether you believe, you know, whether you've seen the velocity really good or not at quite the same level as some others have seen, I think that the, the there is the athleticism. People love the body, and you really have to like the the, the ability to spin a breaking ball. That slider seems like it's always there. He always shows scouts flashes at the very least. Uh, that this has a chance to be a real, a true plus breaking ball down the line if it's not already. Um, he, he's he sounds extremely interesting. Bukowskis, we uh, you know you've written about a uh, guy who reclassified uh, from the class of 2015 to the class of 2014. Just with this class, needed more high school power arms, you know, um, and he brings another one. I guess some of the guys who've fallen uh, from our preseason lists are also interesting to talk about. I think in this um, in this update, Clint. Because uh, Alex Verdugo, uh, the left-hander out of Tucson, has kind of taken a hit. And so has Luis Ortiz. I feel like Luis Ortiz is really the guy who uh, could really move up again if he's healthy. But it feels like the elbow uh, is the story there, Clint. And, uh, you know, he, he missed a start or so. He came back. The velocity was in that more in that 90-92 range, according to the Fresno paper. And the scouts uh, had texted a couple scouts out there who said, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what our guys had, same thing. So... Uh, this is a guy who was thrown in the mid-90s for the 18U team and on the showcase circuit last summer. Um, and Alex Verdugo, another guy who uh, flashed you know, the ability. To, I mean, he was a, one of the most impressive guys, I thought, at Under Armour last year in Chicago at the uh, uh, Baseball Factory event up at Wrigley Field. I, I thought he was one of the better athletes there as far as just his ease of operation, hitting and pitching. And even though he's left-handed, you know, consistently in that 89-92 range and touching more, and has a pretty nice slider. It sounds like, uh, according to everybody we've talked to, Alex Verdugo wants to go out as a hitter um, and is not playing with a tremendous amount of energy this spring uh, and is, you know missed a start with a cut on his finger. Uh, his stock seems like it's down and is harder to repair than Luis Ortiz's stock. Is that is that fair for me to characterize it that way, you think? I guess so. I think you've spoken to more people out on the West Coast at this point than I have. But yeah, with Luis Ortiz, um, I mean, he was he showed probably some of the most consistent velocity of anybody. I mean, he was you know touching 94 at every single event this summer. He was up to 96 earlier this spring. So if he could just return to that, if you know the arm, if, if the arm is healthy, there's no reason that he can't take a significant step up because he's. I think up to this point, he had been in the top 20 of every single one of our rankings. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean. Uh, this is our, this is our, what this is one of the reasons Luis Ortiz is one of the biggest reasons why this draft class is thought of as a class with if not uh not just above average velocity but maybe historic uh high school velocity and he was a big reason for that um is there a I don't know if there's a you know in your mind is there a comp that fits for Luis Ortiz I think I've seen guys thrown around but I think just because he's a strong bodied and not overly projectable. He's he's not the opposite of Spencer Adams, but he's certainly a different animal than Spencer Adams, who we were just talking about before. There seems like there's less projection there, but it's still, but it's not a bad body. It's just a strong body, right? Yeah, one of the comparisons that I've heard, and uh, I think this kind of goes with you know the hard throwing aspects, is uh, Joel Zamaya. You know, he's listed at, at bigger than you know six one or six two, but probably actually smaller than that. I believe at Area Code Games, he actually measured in a, officially six foot. But it's a big, strong, durable frame. Um, so that's probably the, the best uh, physical comparison for him. Yeah, and Verdugo, you know, I have a hard time kind of getting a uh, scouts to throw a comp on him. But you know, I kind of banged on him a minute ago, and I, I you know, the thing is that I, I think I, I think the thing that surprised me was just how good he was last summer. And it felt like consistently good. Even the area codes, Clint, I wasn't there, but I just remember you writing about how Verdugo offensively stood out at area codes as well, and 
this could get interesting. They they uh, Saguaro High goes down to San Diego. I believe it's this weekend for the Lions Club tournament. Correct? I believe that I believe that already passed. Did that happen this past weekend? I believe so. That was that was, uh, was, was going to be a, a real big chance for him to uh, kind of you know match up with a lot of scouts around, and that was being kind of touted as you know kind of a, almost a make or break for Alex Verdugo from a draft standpoint. If this guy gets to college. Um, he has a chance to be, you know, we're talk, we, Aaron and I have talked a lot this year about Arizona State and that team's kind of lack of physicality, but also the arms they have for next year's draft with Brent Lillick, uh, power left-hander, Ryan Kellogg, more of a pitchability left-hander, the, the Canadian physical left-hander. They've also got Ryan Burr for next year's draft in their bullpen. You add Alex Verdugo to that and suddenly some of the talk about Arizona State kind of being on the slide as an or, as a as a program – it might start to reverse because this guy – can you see this guy being a real impact two-way player at the college level? Oh, no question. No no question there. I mean, I think he, he could he could start right in the middle of, of almost anybody's lineup. I mean, it really is a pure bat. It's a pure hit tool with some power potential. And, yeah, I mean, his this, this, this stuff certainly plays in the rotation as well. And he's – yeah, I mean, uh, I've talked to scouts who've had him as a plus runner in the past as well, which is, I think, what – um, again, the most disappointing thing I think for scouts this year with Verdugo had just been the lack of consistent um, top effort. That's the way I would say it. Not that he's not trying, but that he hasn't been at his best for a lot of this season. And I think the, you know, the reason for that is the, the scouts out there have seen him and they know how good he can be at his best. So uh, you know, Alex Verdugo is kind of a victim of his own success. He's set, he has set high standards for himself and scouts are holding him to that. So um, and that's, you know, that's been the case, Clint, for guys like Carlos Rodon, Trey Turner, Jeff Hoffman, too. Um, I did want to wrap uh, – I want to talk about a few more high school pitchers with you. And I mentioned Jeff Hoffman. He's an upstate New York guy, uh, athletic, was raw at a high school, wasn't even drafted, although there were teams that made runs at him um, out of high school that summer. Um, is Scott Blewett uh, the next Jeff Hoffman? It seems like he's – I guess he's much more highly regarded at a similar stage than Jeff Hoffman was, but a right hand out of Baldwinsville, New York. Um, yeah, I just was reading a story before our uh, podcast this morning about him uh, in the Syracuse paper about him pitching in, you know, l- upper 40s weather with rain and uh, blustery conditions and, you know, how he was uh, had been uh, had a stomach virus that morning and the velocity was down, this kind of thing. feels like, again, be- just being a northern pitcher with velocity and that athleticism that Blewett has – uh, he has one of the more volatile draft stocks of this entire class just because it's upstate New York and it's going to be late uh, when he really sees, if he sees, any good weather at all. What's what's the summer summation on Scott Blewett stuff-wise and body-wise? And uh, uh, do you think he's a guy who could pitch his way into the first 20, 25 picks if he finishes strong? Oh, I think there's no question. He was one of the guys who came on the strongest towards the end of the summer. His outing in Jupiter was very impressive. He was up to 95. It is it's really a great looking body, you know. It's six foot six, two twenty five. It really is just a great foundation to start with. He's also young for the class, but that's really how you kind of drop a big power pitcher. And on the off speed stuff, it's a little inconsistent, but you'd expect that with any sort of you know northeast uh, multi multi sport athlete. But the the slider, the, the breaking ball has shown you know above average potential, and he has some strike throwing ability for a big guy that size. From, from a cold weather state. So there's certainly no there's no question that he could make a very, very strong push and get into the back half of the first round here. Yeah, I mean the 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 track record of the fresh northern arm, you know, there's you know, the, I I remember some of the some of the misses, you know, the although I, I don't know if I could call Matt Tora a fresh arm because he was kinda used pretty aggressively in college uh, up at uh, UMass. But you know, Tyler Beatty was a first round pick a couple of years out of there. Uh uh, you know, I'm thinking back uh, back in the day of the Chris Carpenters of the world and those kind of guys. I think a lot of scouts have a lot of ways to dream on a guy like Scott Blue because the arm is fresh, the body is, uh, you know, I don't know if you say a premium body, but it's a, it's a, it's a that, that's certainly a plus. Uh, There's not a lot of, you know, it's not you just have less data, it feels like, on Scott Blewett than you do on some of these other warm-weather pitchers, at least at this point of the year. Uh, that's, a, that's fair to say. I mean, when, I, I kind of I, I, I kind of like the idea of the fresh arm, but it feels like uh, it's, the weather's been so bad this spring, Clint, everywhere, 
Uh, I can't imagine that scouts have really seen his best this spring yet. No, and I think that's true for everybody up north. And um, and speaking with a few cross-checkers, they're kind of going to bide their time a little bit just for a few more weeks to wait and go up and see some of the some of the primetime northern arms, whether it be Joe Gatto, Cam Varga. You know, wait, wait for them to settle in a little bit because there has still, <laughs> as you mentioned, uh, consistent snow flurries in those parts of the country. And, you know, it's tough, tough to miss a day. So, yeah, those guys are, are all primed uh, to potentially move up here once they get a chance to, to make their move. Now, I just talked a little bit. I just mentioned uh, Tyler Beatty's name, at least, uh, Clint. Uh, you know, he's still toward the top of our college rankings. Uh, Carlos Rodon is still the top college pitcher on our list. And we've got a couple emails uh, when I tweeted out uh, about the uh, – I shouldn't say – we have a couple tweets about asking about Rodon. Um, the Bronx Empire asks, what's Carlos Rodon's ceiling based on what he's shown this spring? Average number two, strong number three starter. Um, you know, Clint, I guess the the thing is, depends on when you saw him this spring. Uh, again, like you mentioned, you'd seen him three times. I've been there for two of those starts that you saw. Um, you know, the, it sounds like the, you know, the big factor for Carlos is which start you saw the last five innings, basically of that Duke start, uh, over at Durham Bulls athletic park, which has been a scene of many good starts for Carlos Rodon, ACC tournaments, uh, including uh, last year. Um, you know, he was at his best, at his absolute best, was not at his absolute best this past Friday against Boston College. Uh, what's your take on, on Carlos's ultimate ceiling? That's a great question. Like you said, it really just depends on when you saw him because, frankly, the start against Duke, it was so strong that I don't think we would be having the discussions about him being down. If he had been able to replicate that same start, you know, uh, the majority of his times out, it really was kind of the Carlos of old, you know, uh, been, I think Aaron put it best when he said vintage Carlos. I mean, it was 94 to 96 yep. and a lot easier than we'd seen with the delivery earlier this spring, you know, touch of 98 and the slider was incredible. <laughs> the fact that he got 20 swings and misses on his slider that day and the changeup showed uh, a lot better. So yeah, really, I mean, if you saw, if you saw that guy that day, there's no reason that he could not be, at least a number two starter, but um, in, in, in some of the starts that we've seen, like the start on Friday against Boston College, you'd probably go with more of a number three starter with a chance to have it a little higher than that, but it was primarily 90 to 93, touching a few fours as the game went on, but because of the reduced hand speed, the slider was not you know, quite as explosive or quite as tight as it had been the previous week, and he did not use uh, the changeup as much. And as Coach Elliott Avon said, uh, you know, he commanded the slider well. I think he threw more than two-thirds of his slider's four strikes, but he did not command the fastball as well, which has kind of been a consistent theme for, for Carlos so far this spring. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, that is just – that's the separator. That's what made him – so special. Uh, I guess it was the first time that you'd ever seen him pitch, right, For, against Cuba last year, at least in person. Yep. I mean, uh, it must have been like the fifteenth time I'd probably seen Carlos over his first two years, and uh, you know that's as good as it gets. So, again, I mean, the the question is based off this spring, but no one's basing what they've seen a draft decision or an evaluation on Carlos Rodon off this spring. You know, no teams just don't do that. <laughs> they they don't. You know, you're not drafting Carlos Rodon in a vacuum. Certainly, what he's done this spring is a factor from a workload standpoint. You know, not so much the pitches thrown for me, but the sliders thrown. He throws an awful lot of sliders, Clinton. And that fastball command just feels like it stems from. It's almost like the slider's too good. You know, like last year when Jonathan Gray, uh, you know, uh, came out and the the Rockies. Did not allow him to throw his slider. It was all fastballs, change up, fastballs and changeups when he first signed and first came out in a short season ball. I feel like you're going to see that same, you know, that that same playbook from Carlos Rodon uh, when he signs this summer. Uh, no matter who drafts him, whether it's first, second, third, whoever drafts this guy's going to say you're going to have to go out there and not those sliders, and that's going to be very difficult, I think, for Carlos Rodon to do because the slider is so good and because he does command it. Um, but it feels like the less he uses his fastball, the less effective it is. And uh, both from a uh, command standpoint, but also the velocity, like you said. And there was one inning, really, Clint, the other night where his tempo was better, the velocity was better, a lot more 94s than, than, than 90s. Um, it was just so odd to see it just like for an inning or two. And he talked about it with us after the game about how 
he does feel like he's a little bit more able now, certainly, than he was two years ago as a freshman or even last year to make in-game adjustments. But he wasn't just quite able to maintain that. It just feels like uh, we see flashes of premium Carlos, but we have not seen it on a consistent basis. That's why he's no longer number one on the list. But I do think Jonathan Gray is actually a pretty decent comparison point because they're both physical. I, I guess you would say it's fair to say maxed out physically, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. He doesn't have Jonathan Gray's premium velocity. Sounds like the sliders are pretty comparable. You certainly give Carlos an edge because he's left-handed. But if push came to shove and you asked me who would I like, want better, who would I want more, I'd probably have to say Jonathan Gray over Carlos Rodon just because Gray was trending up coming to the draft. Carlos not trending in that same direction. But they, they feel like they're fairly comparable from one just from very recent draft classes. I think that's a great comparison. It really is. Yeah, and you mentioned that he has not been at his best consistently, but one of the guys who was at his best uh, last week was Jeff Hoffman. And speaking to a number yep. of evaluators there, I mean, he struck out 16 of the 29 hitters that he faced. It was probably his best outing of his college career. And uh, the breaking ball had not been as consistent for him um, this spring as, as some people had hoped, but it sounds like it was a very, very good pitch on Thursday, and I think he got 13 of his 16 strikeouts with with his breaking ball. So uh, it sounds like with that outing and the, uh, the scouting heat that was in attendance for that with some key decision makers from the top five teams, uh, it sounds like that, that was a very strong outing for him. And Clint, it also sounds like that was a pretty necessary outing for Jeff Hoffman because I, you know, the buzz that we got going into that midseason update, I, mean, I remember talking to somebody who said, you know, you guys might be a little high on him. You know, we pre- kind of preserved him there at number five. I guess he'd come into the year at number two or three. Uh, we had him fifth, and we definitely got some feedback that that was maybe a little bit higher than the consensus. It, it felt like Jeff Hoffman, even maybe more than Carl- – it felt like Jeff Hoffman and Carlos Rodon both needed kind of the, 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 the big outings that they had the last two weeks, even though Carlos was in a loss against Duke. Um, again, the, the stuff was so good. And then Jeff Hoffman, the same thing. If, Felt like he had been just, again, so inconsistent um, with that breaking ball, Clint. And the swing and miss, the numbers, the analytical organizations, of which there are more and more every year, the the the, the organizations that, that really crunch the numbers on college performance, before Friday, uh, before Thursday, I suppose I should say, uh, Jeff Hoffman was really slipping with those teams because the strikeout rate had really slipped. Talk about, if you could elaborate a little bit on that and some of the, the research you've done on that. Yeah, I went back and I got a chance to look at the top 10 college pitchers from 2009 to 2013, so a five-year sample size. I believe we had about 33 or 34 uh, pitchers within that range, and uh, he had by far the lowest strikeout rate of any of those pitchers. Um, I, I believe the average was close to 10 strikeouts per nine, and his and this is on a career basis, and his career rate was was lower than eight, so I, I believe was about seven point two, which would leave him at full strikeout lower than the lowest guy on that list, which was Mike Leake. And certainly, those are very different sorts of pitchers. So, as you as you made the point, you know the analytics organizations who are looking at the statistics, he would certainly fall significantly short of any of those performance standards for the top ten. But um, with the strike sixteen strikeout performance that he did have, he did push his. Uh, strikeout to nine uh, rate for this season, at least above a strikeout per name, I believe at nine point two. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Mike Leake. Um, yeah, I, lo- I like that comp. Of scouts have liked that comp on on Aaron Nola to Mike Leake, um, Tyler Beatty. You know, these guys were toward the top of our list at the start of the year. I still feel like Tyler Beatty's kind of losing steam the more this goes on. Again, from the analytics standpoint, Clint, he just walks too many batters. Period. He just doesn't throw enough strikes. It's pretty simple. I feel the guy, the college pitchers who've moved up the most are these left-handers. Uh, Kyle Freeland, Brandon Finnegan, Kyle Freeland at Evansville, Brandon Finnegan at TCU, and Sean Newcomb out of Hartford. Um, just feels like the, the, those three college left-handed pitchers, Clint, I, I almost feel like we're almost low on those guys in some ways, and we moved Freeland up very aggressively to number nine. Finnegan at 12. I feel like we're light on Finnegan with Newcomb at, at 19. feels like Brandon Finnegan is probably – and Aaron and I talked about this a little bit yesterday at the college podcast, but you could elaborate if you'd like. feels like Brandon Finnegan and Kyle Freeland are two guys that um, – they've been so consistently explosive this spring 
Uh, it's going to be hard to keep those guys out of the first 10 to 12 picks in the draft. Certainly. And Kyle Freeland, we were both very fortunate. We got a chance to see uh, his start, I believe it was two weeks ago, against Charlotte, and he we were, was absolutely we outstanding. That started his string of uh, 15 strikeout performances. It was really premium command, and he that, that, that's kind of the defining trait for Kyle Freeland. It, he is just a consistent strike thrower with stuff, which is very, very tough to find. After his most recent performance when he had – uh, 12 strikeouts against no walks that pushed his strikeout to walk ratio for the year to 21.8 <laughs> to one. So um, he is, he is uh, limited free passes more than any other pitcher this, this spring. And it really hasn't even been close. And you couple that with a slider that is uh, at least plus uh, plus plus at his, at its best. And uh, I mean, the fastball was was consistently 90 to 93, touching 95. We heard it was up to 96 within his last start. So it's it's a premium strike thrower with with plus stuff. Yeah, I mean, just statistically, like you said, that's the 21 to to one strikeout to walk is kind of mind blowing. He's sixth in Division One among pitchers and, and walks per nine. Um, you know, Thomas Eshelman at Cal State Fullerton, who's known for never walking anybody, is barely better than Freeland. It's three walks in 76 innings for Thomas Eshelman, who's not draft eligible this year. But just if you listen to these podcasts at all, if you listen to any of the, of the college podcasts you've heard us talk about Thomas Eshelman and just how mind-blowing his command is, Kyle Freeland has Thomas Eshelman command, and he combines it with basically uh, Carlos Rodon stuff. I mean, it's uh, the slider's pretty sick. And we were very lucky, Clint, that day to see – to be there for that. I'm glad that you came by my office before you left the, uh, the, the building. And, uh, and I'm glad that I, I decided to go with you because that was just a sick display. Um, and you know, I liked the comparison that we got, you know, it's, it's guys, who, it's scouts who have been area scouts in North Carolina, um, are, are, are guys who are going to make this comparison and we were in Charlotte. So that's you know, who a lot of our scouts, uh, that we were talking to were, uh, that day, but the, you know, there aren't the only ones who say, you know, he's kind of similar to an Andrew Miller in terms of the tall, lean frame. But Andrew Miller with strike throwing ability, you know, that's Andrew Miller was the top pitcher available on our board, and on, I, we thought he was the top rated pitcher on most boards in the 2006 draft. Obviously, the top pitcher probably should have been Tim Lincecum. He's won two Cy Young awards. I know he's faded a bit, but you know, Max Scherzer was also in that draft. Um, pretty good draft for pitchers when you go back and think about it. Um, but Kyle Freeland seems like it's a similar body, not as tall, which is probably a good thing, athletic. Uh, Finnegan's kind of the opposite kind of body. I mean, he got some Billy Wagner comparisons last summer. This is a guy who's really come along. And then, you know, uh, Newcomb is uh, completely different from those guys. What's, you know, the analytics teams, again, we've talked about that. How do you think teams are going to crunch the Sean Newcomb numbers, which are kind of out of this world as he's really dominated inferior competition. Yeah, I believe it was he went seven starts before he allowed an earned run, and I got a chance to see him uh, six weeks ago against East Tennessee State, and guys just did really – they never put good swings on him. I think he allowed two hits on the day, but both of those were probably actually errors. But one of the things that uh, uh, that is not in his favor, though, he does not really uh, command the – command the um command the fastball quite as much as you'd like i believe he's walking about four per nine but guys just don't get good swings on his stuff and a lot of people have said that this for a college pitcher he has uh, a chance to really be as different in one calendar year from now as as any as any pitcher out there just given you know where he's from the body the physicality um, and everything that else that he brings to the table, because he's extremely young for the class. You can kind of dream, even though you don't really dream on on college pitchers, you dream more on the high school guys. You can kind of dream on him a little bit, which is which is atypical for that. But yeah, the the, the slider has improved. It's got a chance to be uh, at least an average pitch. But it is it's it's extremely fun to watch because the velocity is just so easy. And I think I said the part that stands out is, and I'm not trying to say anything about the coaches at Hartford. But, you know, he has been at Hartford, and, uh, you know, that's Justin Blood, actually, who's the head coach there, correct? Yep. I'm a big Justin Blood fan. Justin was a pitcher at Franklin Pierce in the late 90s, uh, early aughts. Uh, you know, I believe they, they may have been NAIA at that time. I believe they were Division Two, but I'm not sure. But it's a, the premier baseball program in New Hampshire and, and in Upper New England, I would say. And, you know, from a draft standpoint, it might, it's probably the best program 
uh, other than UConn in the Northeast. I mean, just from a producing player for the draft standpoint. And he was a pitcher there. Then he was an assistant coach there. Now he's the head coach at Hartford. This guy does know what he's doing. Um, at the same time, you know, you can only do so much with the weather there. So you get uh, Sean Newcomb in Arizona or Florida on a throwing program in instructs in spring training with pro coaching. Uh, you just have to imagine that this is a guy who could really take off. And I guess the most encouraging part of all this, Clint, is that both Newcomb and Freeland really showed these flashes and, and were quite good in the Cape last summer. And they both carried over that enthusiasm with scouts this spring, as opposed to some other players who might go up to the Cape and flash it and then don't perform in the spring. These two guys have done it in the summer and they've done it again in the spring. That's why I think both these guys are in our top 20. No question. And with Freeland, he was he was one of the most consistent performers out there. I believe he had a 10-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio on the Cape, so it's not just what he's doing this spring against right. uh, you know less less than elite competition. So he really just does have a consistent track record there. Um, just going back to our uh, to our midseason list, a couple of the college hitters who I feel like you know this is not a great year for college hitters. I feel like we say that every year, but two guys I did want to talk on the positive side. If you're looking for a corner bat, Clint, there have been a couple of corner bats who I feel like have emerged a little bit more of an option this year than maybe they were coming into the season. Um, for me, that's Casey Gillespie and Mike Pappy. Uh, Gillespie, the first baseman in Wichita State. Pappy at UVA. Um, he's played first base and he's played outfield. Now with Derek Fisher back from his broken hammock for the Cavaliers, probably going to wind up seeing Pappy back at first base some. Um, what, what's your impression of those two guys and, and, and their kind of their, their draft talk? It feels like both those. I feel like those are the two college bats who may have helped themselves more than anybody this year. Yeah, Poppy, even coming into the year, he, he really was uh, graded out very strongly in the sabermetric um, sort of sort of met, sort of measures. I mean, his his walk rate was as good as nearly anybody in the class coming into the year, and that is not abated at all. At all. It's been above twenty percent, and he's hitting for power. It's it's a t- it's a tough place to hit for power. I believe the park factor is uh, around eighty or so. It's a big park, but he's shown a lot of doubles power. He's actually a much better athlete than uh, th- than you'd expect. He actually has posted plus run times. I don't know if he's going to do that consistently. His speed might not play at that level consistently, but he's actually got an above-average arm too. So there's really a lot to like there. And even though he is playing first base, you know, because of the above-average arm strength, he probably can profile in right field. But because of his consistent performance and everything that he brings to the table, he's certainly got a chance to go maybe in the back half of the first round or, you know, the compensation round. It's really surprising to me that Virginia just has not broken out offensively. <laughs> they just still haven't quite uh, broken down that door like we thought that this offense would. Big test for them, and a lot of heat's going to be in there this weekend against Florida State down in Tallahassee. Um, you know, Luke Weaver, who, if you haven't seen it, we do have some uh, you know, two minutes plus of video of Luke Weaver from uh, Friday night over in Winston-Salem where uh, Josh, uh, Jim Courier, uh Norris would have to go see him. Uh, we, we have a plethora of inside uh, joke names at the Baseball America offices these days, so I uh, apologize if we break out the, the, the inside joke names from time to time. But but uh, Courier was out there on Friday. You know, uh, I think there are going to be a lot of guys that go watch uh, this UVA offense, this lineup, and Clint, it's, just, it's so consistent. Scouts love this UVA team. They love this lineup, the athleticism they see. Uh, uh, Aaron and I talked about it yesterday. They just have it broken out. And here, you know, Pappy went hitless this weekend against North Carolina, which, you know, is a good North Carolina pitching staff, but it's certainly not a great UNC pitching staff, certainly not by recent North Carolina standards. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Pappy uh, goes. I'll, I'll be fascinated to watch. He's under 300 now, but I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a big Pappy believer. I, I, I like him quite a bit. Um, like you said, I think the athleticism surprises some people. Gillespie's not about athleticism. He's about mashing the ball. Another guy who walks a lot and hits for power. And he kind of fits that corner bat profile. He absolutely does. Yeah, he's got he's got plus power. You, you love the switch hitting ability. And yeah, like you mentioned, he walks a ton. He's walking about near, nearly two times for every single strikeout. And uh, he's really just punishing the ball. Um, he, he's certainly up there as, as far as college draft eligible players in terms of home run and power production. I, think, I believe he had the second highest 
uh, isolated slugging. So there, there's really a lot to like there. Now that Aaron got a chance to get a good look at him and really liked what he saw on his uh, trip through the Midwest. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you just don't see too many college guys with double-digit home runs these days. Gillespie's tied for seventh in the country uh, with ten home runs at the Division One level. But A.J. Reed at uh, Kentucky, we should wrap up with this. I mean, it's just funny you look at the, the official NCAA stats, and it has number one home runs, A.J. Reed, Kentucky, position, pitcher, uh, you know, 16 home runs. Um, you know, or I, the, the, one of my first draft calls was A.J. Reed, more of a pitcher, Clint. Now we're hearing, you know, the, 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 I just don't think the power can be ignored. I think the fact that, and you know, you don't even have to comment much on, on A.J., but to me it just feels like, 16 home runs in 40 games in this hitting environment in college baseball with these bats, that guy's going to go out as a, as a hitter. And I just don't think there's any question about it. I do think there's question about how much bat speed he has. I do think there are questions about can he handle, would he get eaten up by the level of velocity that you just see as a regular, as a matter of course, in the South Atlantic League or the Carolina League or you know A-ball leagues compared to what he's seeing in the Southeastern Conference this year. I think those are legitimate questions, but I still don't think that's going to dissuade anybody from taking A.J. Reed uh, as a bat. Um, Clint, we've talked a lot about the high school uh, pitching and the velocity in this. It feels like there's other uh, – I should have asked you this earlier, but it feels like there are other high school power arms that are kind of emerging, uh, maybe weren't on that midseason top 50, but other guys who are emerging who, who, who've shown uh, those mid-90s velocity. Who are some of those, maybe some of those breakout guys uh, on the high school side this year? I think everyone that uh, evaluators had a wait-and-see approach on was Bryce Montes de Oka out of Lawrence, Kansas. He's a big, uh, hulking presence at six foot eight, about 270 pounds, and he had Tommy John surgery just about a year ago at this time, and so he did not pitch at all in the showcase circuit. wasn't All-American at, at a few different events and whatnot, but he had his first start two weeks ago. It was actually just the week following our update, and he sat 94 to 97 on 35 pitches. Then last week, uh, he was 92 to 96 with a little better strike throwing ability with that on 45 pitches. So you're going to start to see his, his pitch count ramp up the more that he gets away from, from the one year mark with, with his Tommy John surgery. But he really has a chance, uh, to warrant some pretty good attention here. I think just because of the limited looks that the evaluators were able to get, you know, last summer and whatnot, uh, he's probably going to be one of the highest priority guys so far. Uh, I mean, throughout the rest of the spring as, as we all sprint to the finish line for the draft. So how, how, how young was Monte Saoka when he had Tommy John surgery? Was he 16? Let's see here. I believe he's, he's uh, an April birthday. So yeah, I think he was right on the borderline between 16 and 17 when he had it. Wow. Yeah. And he was up to 95. Actually, Evaluator did get a chance to see him a little bit at Jupiter in 2012. Um, nobody was really – I was very fortunate. I kind of stumbled onto that game. I saw him warming up. And, you know, within a few pitches of seeing a six foot eight guy who's touching 95, um, you know, probably about 30 or 40 Evaluators were there in about a matter of 10 or 15 pitches. So guys that get a chance to see him a little bit, um, but certainly not nearly as much as you'd like. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty unique case. Uh, it sounds like one of the other guys who's kind of popped up here, not so much popped up, but whose velocity has spiked this spring is Cody Reed, the high school pitcher down in uh, Alabama. Not as tall as Bryce Montez de Oca. I guess he's not as big, but he's not far off. <laughs> sounds, like a, <laughs> sounds like a very big kid, um, very physical Vanderbilt commit. Um, you know, we, we've actually talked, Clint, in, about how North Carolina's recruiting class uh is just littered with breakout pitchers uh Vanderbilt always is uh you know Van, the, the Commodores do a great job recruiting um they've got one of the wild cards in this year's class on their own roster and Adam Ravenel we, you could talk about him a little bit because he's he's pretty unique you profiled him in our stats wrap uh they've got you know Justice Sheffield who's come out with very good stuff this spring but at the same time is five foot ten uh left-hander and then they've got Cody Reed who's this uh, hulking physical hard-throwing left-hander out of Alabama who's got some heat and uh, got some uh, – starting to have some some helium. And then North Carolina's class, we've mentioned Bukowskis, um, Flaherty, uh, Jack Flaherty, who I think was thought of more as a corner bat. Now we wrote about him in Draft Tracker last week, so the, the consensus is this guy's a pitcher. 
Uh, I got a Jeff Supon comp thrown on him the other day, and maybe that doesn't sound that impressive to some people, but you know, Jeff Supon was a big leaguer for uh, – he, he made a lot of money. <laughs> you know, Jeff Supon made a lot of money pitching in the major leagues. Um, he played from 19 – it was in the major leagues from 1995 to 2012. Uh, let's see what Baseball Reference says. Uh, his estimated career earnings were $58 million. So I think that if Jack Flaherty had a Jeff Supon career, he'd be pretty happy. Um, guy won 140 big league games. Uh, that seems like another guy who's not moved up necessarily because of his velocity, but because of the pitchability. It seems like it stands out. And he is, uh, you know, a North Carolina recruit like Bukowskis, who we talked about, uh, like Cam Vargas, uh, Cam Varga, I should say, out of uh, Ohio. Uh, uh, Joey Ga- Joe Gatto, Joseph Gatto. There's just a lot of that. That that recruiting class has a chance to take a hit. And there's another kind of pop up guy who's a North Carolina. Signee, right? Did you you went and saw him last night, correct? He is pitching today. Today, yeah, six thirty okay. today. So I'll be going out to see him. But Ryder Ryan out of North Me- North Mecklenburg, uh, who's the son of Sean Ryan, who was a former former minor leaguer. Uh, he's been he was he was kind of a two way guy throughout the summer. Um, you know, touching ninety when he did get a chance to get on the mound, but he's been up to ninety six so far this spring and in previous starts, and really gonna you know looking forward to what he has. But uh, one of the things that stands out about him is really just kind of his feel for pitching, for how inexperienced he is on the mound. Uh, guys have uh, not not been bashful to say that he has a chance for above average command, you know, with with a, with a plus plus fastball velocity, and he's got some feel for a breaking ball. So he really stands out with just his his pitching aptitude, despite being more of a of a third baseman slash catcher coming into the coming into the spring. And that's that, that. That's really what stood out to me was the the scouts I talked to just talking about his command. I mean, that is just really. <laughs> that's just that's just stunning. I mean, that that's it's really stunning that uh, that a guy with such little so little experience. That's what stands out for both him and for Flaherty. Um, and, and then Ryan combines that with, with the big velocity. Clint, anybody you want to touch on that we uh, that we've missed on today's uh, podcast so far? No, I, th- I think we, I think we've done a good job hitting everybody else. But just because you talked about him, uh, Cody Reed out of Alabama, he was yeah. on the showcase circuit. I mean, big, strong, physical body, about six two, two forty, um, some heftiness and and whatnot. But he was uh, mostly high eighties. Guys really didn't get a chance to get good looks on him. Um, he he was pretty deceptive with his fastball. Could spot it up, have some movement. But he's been up to ninety five or even a touch higher this spring. So we sound like a broken record, but a lot of these high school arms. Um, just have seen significant velocity increases so far this spring. He's certainly uh, one of the guys who fits that bill. Well, last but not least, we do have a bunch of uh, Twitter uh, t- questions on Twitter. I should have a- asked. Uh, I'll, I'll run these by you, Clint. Matthew Vizi asks, uh, give me a couple starting pitchers likely not to be drafted till the comp round or second round, but will start in Major League Baseball. I did mention one earlier. I, I, he's dropped on our list, I think, just because he hasn't quite been explosive this year. But I think it's very fair to say that Luke Weaver could get drafted a little bit higher than the second round, but he's like a comp round, second round talent. And we have Matt Imhoff, the left-hander out of Cal, Cal Poly, in that same range. Those are two that just jump out to me, Clint. Are there some high school pitchers that you'd say, like as a Kobe Johnson or a Gatto or some of those guys, fit more in that comp to second round range? I think a guy that we get a chance to see uh, for the NHSI, Foster Griffin, because of his strike-throwing ability and feel for his changeup and just aptitude for pitching. I think he's certainly somebody who could, you know, fit into that into that grouping with a big, strong, physical body. I think I think he kind of fits the bill there. And I think Flaherty. We t- we mentioned him, uh, a guy that you've mentioned a couple times, uh, Austin Gomber at Florida Atlantic. Uh, if if the breaking ball comes along, he probably fits that profile, really, doesn't he? I don't I don't see Austin Gomber as a threat to go in the first round or supplemental round. He might even be more of a third round pick, but this is a good, very good body. The arm works uh, pretty good velocity. This is a, a guy who even with a two and six season this year, feels like he has a chance to be a second, third round pick, right? I think, I think that's a great call. Just, I mean, the defining characters for him is really just strike throwing ability. He measured out very well in all the control metrics and he's, he's got a three pitch mix. Um, the chance for an above-average changeup with a great six-foot-five body. Yeah, the body is definitely plus on uh, Austin Gomber. Um, definitely makes me, uh, you know, it was fun to watch him last year at the uh, regional in Chapel Hill. Definitely something to watch for with him. I and mean, if you believe in pitch counts and you want to watch pitcher health, all that kind of stuff, 
He was used on one day rest last year, just like Kent Emanuel was. The Kent Emanuel use got all the attention because he was draft eligible last year in the very same regional. Austin Gomber, who's a very similar pitcher to Kent Emanuel with a better delivery, did exactly the same thing. So if it concerned you with one pitcher, it probably should concern you with the other. Um, uh, Joseph Carella, I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, uh, wonders as Tukey's Toussaint stock fallen with an okay season. Is he still a definite first round pick? I don't feel like his stock has fallen, Clint. It feels like actually he's been a little bit better this year. Maybe the, he hasn't flashed the premium stuff. And he hasn't put it all together, but he's flashed the velocity. He's shown, it feels like consistently better command and the changeups really come a long way for Tukey from last summer. Yeah, I, I would, I would kind of disagree with that statement um, that, that he threw out there because, I mean, he he's really just shown everything that you hoped that he would throughout the summer. I mean, we knew that it was a great athlete and really had a chance to come together quickly, and it's certainly not there yet, but the majority of his starts, he's been mid-90s, touching 97. Like you said, I mean, the changeup, that's really the, what, what is uh, what, what's really stood out so far this spring. He's got a chance to be an above-average pitch, and he has one of the best curveballs in the high school class. When you put it all together – pretty intriguing package and yes i believe he is a a lock to go in the first round and has a chance to go in the top half and finally simon whose twitter handle is at federer funhouse asks any inkling about the blue jays how would you compare the 11th best player this year to phil bickford that's an interesting way to look at it because i think it's still a bit too early to start matching up i mean we could do a mock draft and just match teams with here's the kind of players they draft but i mean like we're you know we're starting to hear some names tied to some organizations that usually uh, I think really isn't going to come together for another couple of weeks at least, uh, Clint. But uh, you know, Phil Bickford was a third high school pitcher drafted last year. The uh, Blue Jays did not sign tenth overall. He's now at Cal State Fullerton. You had Cole Stewart to the Twins. You had Trey Ball to the Red Sox, um, and then you had Phil Bickford who didn't sign. It feels like Phil Bickford's awfully good. And he really came on strong late last year, but at the same time, it feels like this. Uh, we have this top two. I would take. I think that most scouts would say they like Kolick and Aiken better than they liked Ball and Stewart last year. But Bickford, would you take Bickford over, say, a Tukey Tucson or Grant Holmes, who are kind of the two guys in contention for third best high school pitcher in this draft? It feels like there's a little bit of a gap after those top two guys, and then there's not as much separation between Tukey Holmes, Sean Reed Foley, and that next group of high high school pitchers. Do you, do you follow me? Bickford might compare very favorably to. I, I think both the guys from this year's class you mentioned with, with Holmes and Toussaint would probably grade out uh, higher there. And it's not just comparing it versus Bickford. It was Bickford with the options that were there versus the options that are going to be here and the guys that we have in that range. You know, with with Fetty, Holmes, and, right. and Finnegan, you know, those are the sort of options they're going to have there. And I think, you know, that is probably a much more um, intriguing decision um, this year as opposed as opposed to last year. Yeah, and the, and the depth on the high school pitching side is just uh, much more significant. So it's going to be uh, – I have a feeling that you're going to see teams draft some of these college pitchers, the quote-unquote more sure things, in those first 20, 25 picks. But it feels like the supplemental second-round, third-round clink could be very, very high school heavy. No question there. I think that's really kind of the the strength of this class is really just the depth within those within those middle rounds. I'm, uh, I'm with you. Well, Clint, uh, good stuff. I uh, want to thank all of our listeners for the questions. We had good questions today on, on the Twitter machine, which is always fun. Well, if you're not already following us on Twitter, uh, for, for all your draft uh, coverage, obviously at Aaron Fit, not on this podcast, but at Aaron Fit has you covered from the college standpoint and is always uh, a great follow at draft time. He's at Clint underscore BA. Clint, you've, you got, uh, I, I appreciate that your your focus is mostly on, on the producing content for the pay model of Baseball America. <laughs> But step up your tweet, Gabe, as we get closer. Only 377 tweets for Clint Longenek at this point. So uh, It's horrible. I need to step up my production, no question. But uh, I'm at John Manuel BA. I, I try to keep my, my tweet game to the to, on the baseball side these days. But the fact that I tweet about things non-baseball is the reason that there are 22,000 tweets out there, which is kind of embarrassing. But uh, we will be there for you as the, as the draft approaches uh, June 5th, 6th, and 7th. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, their first week of June. So plenty more draft coverage coming at BaseballAmerica.com and hopefully to their draft podcast coming soon 
We hope we will not make you wait as long for the next one as we made you wait for this one. Hope you enjoyed it. For Clint Longenecker, I'm John Manuel. This podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack raid and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.